My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to add my welcome to you this morning. Uh, also, before we jump into the message this morning, I just want to uh, let you know that coming next Sunday, uh, we're working on trying to let you know about all the different opportunities that we have available here at Faith Covenant Church for you to be able to connect to grow and to serve. Part of what we're doing in our current series called Innies and Outies is we're uh, acknowledging that some of us are more extroverted and some of us are more introverted, and there's different things that we all need in order to connect, grow, and serve, and so we're trying to pay attention to all of that. Uh, so that's coming next week, but we also wanted to get one thing on your radar because the time is coming quickly, and we want you to be able to put it on your calendar if this is interesting for you. One of the ways that we're going to offer a, an equipping opportunity for you to grow is uh, Financial Peace University. And if you know anything about Financial Peace University, it's a, it's a really helpful and impactful uh, course uh, that you do in community with other people. You do build trusted friends who help walk through the journey of financial health and wholeness from a biblical perspective. Uh, and so really, if you uh, are in a place where you could use some, uh, some insight and some coaching and some guidance on how to get a handle on your finances and to understand how God wants you to look at your money and how you can manage that better. And, and, and we know we live in a world that is awash in debt. And, and if you're in that boat and you want to start to work your way out of debt, this is a great way where you can find help and hope. So it's going to be on Wednesday nights this fall, beginning October 12th. So it's coming in three weeks beginning October 12th, and I believe it's about nine sessions. Uh, our own Scott Neal is going to be facilitating that. If you have questions uh, and you want to ask us about that, we're happy to let you know. You, starting next week again, you'll have ways to sign up for that and all the other things that we have available. Uh, so just wanted to get that on the radar so you can be thinking about that, praying about it, and possibly planning for that as something that might be really helpful for you this fall. We began our current series that we're calling Innies and Outies uh, with a question from an article by Joe Terrell that says, have you ever felt like somewhat of an imposter in church? A recent, uh, this recent article that he wrote uh, suggests that you, uh, if you tend to have a more introverted personality style, if your wiring tends to be more inward focused than outward focused, that, that that may be a part of your experience of church. You may have felt a little uh, out of place. You may have not felt like you really connected in the same way that you see other people connecting. And he says this is because perhaps many of the things that we think of when we think about church today tend to be the things that are designed for the more extroverted, gregarious, and social people among us. While somewhere between one-third and one-half of all people are actually introverts, this isn't because there's anything wrong with them, <laughs> right? This is the way that God made us. These are the differences that we have among us as human beings. And we know that people that are on the more introverted side of the scale uh, simply find themselves being more drained by uh, social engagement and high-energy stimulating environments. And, and, and they need to go and recharge their batteries. They need some downtime or some cave time, right, guys? Sometimes we need to just go find our, our cave and just kind of recharge our batteries in, in, in some solitude and some alone time. People who are more inward focused tend to gravitate towards the worlds of thought and introspection and reflection and even often creativity. 
while extroverts, in contrast, tend to seek out and are recharged by highly stimulating social environments. Uh, you guys are the ones who, who find high energy in being in a crowded room rather than wanting to go hide in the corner until everybody goes away. Those of us who are more outwardly wired find uh, external simulation and social engagement and parties to be exciting and the things that we want to be a part of. But Terrell says in his article that if we're not careful, we can subtly or sometimes even not so subtly paint a picture that uh, an authentic follower of Jesus is relentlessly optimistic tirelessly energetic, emotionally expressive, and magnetically sociable. He says, in other words, pure nightmare fuel for introverts. <laughs> some of us are innies and some of us are outies, and that's okay. That's how God designed us. And depending on how you're wired, your experience of church might push all of your buttons in just the right way, but it might also put your, push your buttons in all the wrong ways. In our introduction last week to this three-part series that is kind of setting the stage for how we can be thinking about the kind of church we want to be moving forward into this fall season, I suggested that we can look at the differing experiences of, of us as introverts and extroverts as an example of Paul's teaching in the letter to the Corinthians on how the body of Christ is actually designed by God to function. In verse 12 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with the church. And in verse 27 of that chapter, he says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Here at Faith Covenant Church, we've described our discipleship with, journey with Jesus by using three key words, connecting, growing, and serving. In the same way that the greatest command in the Bible that Jesus identified, if you remember right, right, was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he said a second is like it is to love your neighbor as yourself. There's a, there's a vertical aspect to our relationship with Jesus, as well as a horizontal aspect to it. And the two actually can't be separated. We, we love God by loving others. We, 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 we live in God's presence by living in Christian community. That's part of what it means to be the church and the body of Christ. In the same way, each of these three discipleship words, connecting, growing, and serving, have a, a vertical aspect to them as well as a horizontal aspect. When we come to connect with God as a church, we want to find avenues through worship and through prayer and through studying the Bible and through community and service to, to connect with God. But what we have to understand is we also do that horizontally as we connect with other people and as we feel a call from God to go and serve other people. We grow in our relationship with Jesus as we learn how to grow in healthy, loving, and maturing relationships with other people. And ultimately, what we do to serve God, either in the church or in the world, it, it first comes from a calling from God to use all that we have and all that we are, as we sang today, in service to His kingdom. One of the, the things that I've, I've been uh, saying a lot these days is, is our goal should not be to create a successful church. Our goal should be to create successful disciples of Jesus. And the two aren't necessarily the same thing. 
At Faith Covenant Church, we want to be a place where everyone can connect with God and with others. We want to be a place where people can find ways to grow in their relationship with Jesus and, and find a deepening, maturing relationship with, with the people around them, whether it's with your own marriage and family or with people in your church or in your workplace. And we want to be a place where everyone can find meaningful service with a sense of calling from God for what they're called to do, whether that's serving here in the church or it's serving in the world. This is all a part of what it means for us to be good at making disciples of Jesus. And what we learn from the Bible is that Christian spiritual, in Christian spirituality, we cannot separate the vertical from the horizontal. The two were designed by God to go hand in hand. But part of the challenge that we identified last week that we're going to talk more about today is that as introverts and extroverts, as innies and outies, we often find different meaningful ways to connect, right? And, and we might grow differently or we might find different ways of serving. They might not always be the same thing. And it's just possible that in our human nature, it seems that we tend to gravitate to and to value the, the, the more highly, more energetic, the more upfront, the more gregarious personalities and styles of living out our faith. But we need to understand, I believe Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13, and we're going to be uh, working through that today and next week as well that there's risks involved if we get ourselves out of balance and if we begin to favor one side over another. In the church, in the, in the body of Christ, Paul says in verses 21 and 22 of chapter 12, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually, he says, indispensable. In fact, he goes on to say in chapter 13 that the more extroverted and more public and upfront forms of our faith, if we're not careful, can become more of a show for other people than a sign of our genuine growth and maturity in our relationship with Jesus. Let's, let's look at where he goes in this chapter. Verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a, a, a man, when I became an adult, I put away, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see 
only a reflection as in a mirror. Or, or maybe we only see dimly as through a cloud or a mist. But then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now all, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You see, Paul is getting at, what Paul is getting at here ties in with kind of where we've been going with using introversion and extroversion as an example of how we are different but designed to work together as the body of Christ. Here he says the more outward and the more extroverted forms of our faith, speaking in public, speaking in tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge. Even, he says, the external acts of giving and and charitable service and doing things for other people can all be done with the wrong motives and for the wrong reasons. Well, in contrast, he says, it's, it's the inward character of the heart of the Christian that truly defines our growth in maturity in our relationship with Jesus. See, a maturity and a a character, Paul says, that is identified by a Christ-like love will manifest itself in our increasing ability to love other people well. Now, if we think about it, this wasn't only true for Christians in Corinth, thousands of years ago in the first century, was it? It's equally true for us now. Perhaps, can I suggest, especially in an age when a culture of personality has almost completely swallowed up a culture of character. In her book titled Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Won't Stop Talking, Susan Cain writes how most of us in Western society have been subtly indoctrinated into a value system she refers to as the extroverted ideal. Or as she says it, the omnipresent belief that, it, that the ideal self is gregarious, alpha, and comfortable in the spotlight. Introversion, she says, is now a second-class personality trait, somewhere between a disappointment and a pathology. Extroversion is an enormously appealing personality style, but we've turned it into an oppressive standard to which most of us feel we must conform, she says. Now, some historians connect this dramatic shift that we've seen in our culture over the last hundred or so years to the arrival of the Industrial Revolution. Historian Warren Sussman refers to this huge sociological shift as the transition from a culture of character to a culture of personality. In contrast to a culture of character which places a high societal value on ethics and integrity and being true to your word, a culture of personality prioritizes charisma and personal likability. Originating around the time people began moving from farms to cities in order to work in factories and office buildings, he says, at the dawn of the 20th century, the culture of personality swept through America's social institutions and became the gold standard by which the strength of one's leadership and potential was judged. And Terrell in his article suggests we don't have to look any further than our current political environment, our entertainment culture, or even the scandal-plagued world of celebrity pastors to see the inevitable results of what happens when we platform personality over character. And he goes on to say that the church is no exception. 
Under the Christian version of the extroverted ideal, he suggests introverted Christians can intuit from their cultural environment that they're simply too shy, quiet, stoic, dispassionate, or easily overwhelmed to be an effective follower of Jesus. And those assumptions, he says, couldn't be further from the truth. Now, coming back to Scripture, right? In 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul is seeking to address a very similar kind of dynamic at work in the church in Corinth. In his context, it was manifesting itself in increasing conflict over which types of Christian service or ministry or which types of spiritual gifts were getting the most attention and were valued the most and were seen as marks of being a true Christian or perhaps not being a true Christian. Even in the first century, Paul is identifying that it was the more charismatic, extroverted, and upfront types of ministry that were garnering the greatest value and attention in the church. But in the same way for us today, these types of gifts and these types of ministries, if we're not careful, can actually play more into a culture of personality in the church, or can we say a cult of personality in the church? than into a culture of character. And if we are going to make disciples who follow Jesus, should we not be careful to be focused on developing a culture of character that invites people to go deeper into their relationship with Jesus, to find the abundant life that God truly invites us to experience in Him? If we don't, we run the risk of falling victim to the more shallow forms of the faith that look great from the outside and attract a lot of people. But in the end, they have no genuine depth and no character on the inside. Much like the kind of Christians that Paul told Timothy to watch out for in 2 Timothy chapter 3, these kinds of people are all about the external show of their faith, but really they're only using it for their own personal affirmation and their own personal gain. In in verse 5, he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. He says, have nothing to do with such people. Can I suggest for us today that, that we have a lot to learn from the more introverted, inwardly focused people among us. If you're one of those people, we need you. We don't want you to feel like a second-class citizen. We don't want you to feel like there's no place for you to connect or there's no place for you to grow or there's no place for you to serve. We don't want you to to be sitting on the sidelines watching the game while everybody else who's extroverted is out on the field saying, pass it to me, pass it to me, pass it to me. I've said this over and over again for many years. Christianity is a team sport where everyone plays. But like the church in Corinth, we too need to be intentional about creating a culture that both sees and values the differences among us. And so as we explore what it means for us to become a church that truly makes disciples of Jesus and not just good church attenders... I believe we need to hear and learn from our more introverted brothers and sisters about what a deeper, more introverted, reflective lifestyle looks like, more intentional time developing deep, lasting relationships, and focusing on the inward Christian character that can demonstrate itself in the outward forms of being people who really know how to love other people well. Last week, we talked about how...
an introvert's ability to develop and sustain deep and lasting friendships that might be their most potent superpower. (laughs) Those are the kind of relationships that we all need. Those are the kind of relationships that we advertise you can find in church. But too often, people feel like it's a bait and switch. They come looking for intense family-style community. Uh, but unless you're already here, unless you're already in the in-group, it feels like, man, I, I, you know, I thought that's what they said this was, but it doesn't feel like there's really a place for me here. Now, we know extroverts are essential to the church too, Right? Extroverts are really good at bringing people together, at providing hospitality, about welcoming new people, and and that's got to be a part of what we are able to offer as a Christian community as well. But we're also recognizing that if we only engage one another at these more public, social, acquaintance-level kinds of relationships, we may be missing one of the most critically important aspects of Christian discipleship, and that can only be experienced with deeper commitments of genuine, what I love this phrase, of life-on-life relationships. And brothers and sisters, you can't get that one hour in a room like this on Sunday morning. It's just not going to happen. In an age of instant gratification, entertainment on demand, and a culture that worships personality, a more introverted focus on our faith might be directly related to a less flashy and a more character-building type of spiritual life that focuses on disciplines like meditation and fasting and prayer, deeper reading and studying of God's Word, seeking greater simplicity and solitude in our lives with fewer but deeper relationships of high trust and high commitment. Again, don't get me wrong, our church desperately needs extroverts. We need your energy and your enthusiasm. We need your charismatic personalities and your warm hospitality. We need you to teach us how to welcome strangers, how to take risks, and how to inspire one another. But I also want to encourage us and challenge us to to see that the seeming preference for extroverts in the church, if we're not careful, can lead us to become distracted by the more exuberant, charismatic, upfront experiences of church that along with the Corinthians 2,000 years ago placed too much value on these extroverted expressions of the faith to the detriment of a deeper, more valuable, character-building lifestyle that we were called to live together in Christ. So we also need you introverts. (laughs) We need your thoughtful intellect and your quiet passion. We need you to show us how to find God in the stillness, to listen instead of talk, and how to respond instead of react. We need your commitment to lasting relationships of depth and character that call each of us to lean into one another in a more life-on-life relationship with particular people that challenges us to go deeper in our discipleship with Jesus. Paul's perspective is that the starting point is we have to understand that everyone is a part of the body of Christ. And because everyone is a part of the body of Christ, everyone is needed in order for us to experience the fullness and the wholeness of Christ among us. 
And so part of what I would hope we can do this fall is begin to find ways for everyone to connect, to grow, and to serve in ways that meet your needs, that push your buttons in all the right ways. And, and, and we're not going to be perfect at that right away, but that's why we need to come together and we need to, to talk to one another. We need your voice. We need your perspective. We need to hear what it is that you need. What is it that you're longing for? What is it that you're hoping for? What would you like your experience of church to be? And where where can we grow as a faith community? Where can we improve what we are doing together that makes a place of of welcome and belonging and service for all people? We're going to start talking about that next week as we jump back to the beginning of chapter 12 and look at the different kinds of service and how God calls each of us into service and empowers us for that, that Paul talks about using the term spiritual gifts. And and I'll I'll just give a teaser. I, I think the word spiritual gifts is a misnomer but you got to come next week to hear what I mean by that. (laughs) Here in chapter 13, Paul tells us the bottom line, right? I had a a professor that talked about uh, doing church strategy and, and, and even how God strategically works throughout a Christian's lifetime to, to lead them on the path of his calling. And, and, and he said, you always have to begin with the end in mind, right? You always have to start with, make sure you understand what is the bottom line, Because if you don't know what the end is, if you don't know the goal that you're trying to get to, if you don't know the results and the outcome that you're going to want to achieve, how can you know that if you're on the right path to get there? And here in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells us very emphatically that it is Christ-like love, God's agape, unconditional, unfailing love that is the true core of our Christian identity and character and is the more accurate measure of our growth and our maturity as followers of Jesus. And so by identifying and listening to the needs of both our introverted and our extroverted folks, our innies and our outies, we may learn to value more highly an emphasis on helping each other grow in our Christ-like character, to deepen our genuine love for one another, that if we truly have that vertical relationship, we will see it manifest in our horizontal relationships with the people around us. And to not just focus on the external shows of faith, but the genuine inner life that causes us to be transformed into the likeness of Christ himself. Introverts and extroverts are both called to this journey, but introverts might be less temp- introverts, yes, might be less tempted to fall victim to what I would call the more counterfeit forms of spirituality than a genuine, heartfelt relationship with God that Jesus said only comes from the inside out. And so Paul closes chapter 13 by identifying the inward character traits of a genuinely maturing Christian. He says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Men and women, it is my hope and my prayer that we will come together in the season ahead and we will each find a way to encourage one another on the inward journey of finding renewed hope, solid faith, and genuine love in our relationships with one another. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
God, we thank you that you gave your life to show us that there's nothing that can separate us from your love, that you desire nothing more than for us to to come and, and to find a place of belonging and connection in your family. That you promise us that if we, if we recognize that all we have and all that we are comes from you as a gift and, and we allow you uh, to mold and shape us, that you will grow us to be the kinds of disciples that you have imagined when you designed us uniquely as introverts and extroverts from the very beginning. And God, that you have a place of service for each one of us. You have a calling on each of our lives. And that together, if we lean into one another and learn to develop life-on-life relationships here at Faith Covenant Church, we know that through your Holy Spirit and through your word, you will use those relationships to make us into Jesus' true disciples. That's our hope and our prayer. And we will thank you and we will praise you for all the ways that you bless us, all the ways that you call us out of darkness and into your marvelous light, in all of the ways you use and transform us to be a blessing to those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.